As Steve Winwood said, let's just roll with it, baby. So let's go. Ephesians chapter 4, welcome to LOH. We're in a series on the book of Ephesians called Real Church, and we're going to begin to drill into a, a new idea called the giver and the gifted. Those of you who have been, will be in Ephesians 4, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the first eight verses today. Uh, those of you who have been diving into the letter of Ephesians and have been devoting yourselves to the pastor's teaching, <coughs> Acts 2, read Acts 2, um, you, you, you come to realize that before the Apostle Paul talks about how we are to walk out our calling as Christians, he begins by pointing out that we need to know how to sit as Christians, and therefore in the beginning of the Ephesian letter, he talks about what God has already done for us before we ever got here. Before we walk out the life in the spirit that Paul describes as our calling, and every believer is called, every believer has a calling, and a certain way of doing the life that God has already created for you and for me to do through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the release of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer. Before we walk, we need to learn to sit and rest in faith. But it is not a sitting in inactivity. It is the activity of God through us in us and through us, it's not about not doing anything, but it's how we do what we're doing and who motivates us to do so. And so we start by focusing our eyes on the everies. We've talked about chapter one being the everies of God. And the everies represent all of the blessings that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We've talked about that in chapter one. And the prayer that I prayed just a few moments ago was a prayer that Paul prayed so that those who were in the Everies would continually have their eyes open and the Holy Spirit would continue to work in them so they continue to be the people God has birthed them and spiritually baptized them to be. Because in order to walk out our calling in a manner worthy of it, it's about God doing a work in us continually so we don't get stale, we don't get stagnant, we don't get paralyzed, but we continue to move forward. And so that's where we're going today. I so appreciate Pastor Dustin's uh, amazing job that he did leading our church in our first growth track. How many of you were in growth track? Raise your hand. Yeah? Yeah? And, and congrats to Pastor Dustin and, and Chantel on, on that new baby boy that's come. I guess, uh, I guess that's why Chantel couldn't be here today. Uh, yeah, and I, I love the nickname because uh, being Tim McBeetle, uh, Jet, uh, there's a Paul McCartney song, Jet. You can call him Jet, I'm calling him a man Jet. Jet. Anyway, awesome. But anyway, Pastor Dustin talked about healthy discipleship and the importance of spiritual health from which good discipleship and godly discipline flows. And it's through the grace of God, not guilt. The grace of God and the flow of the river of the Holy Spirit that fills our life is the, is the one who makes us capable of living out the love of God, which the sign of real healthy spiritual discipleship is love that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, 
and sincere faith. Did I get that right, Dust? And I'm so thankful for the 60 or so of you who invested four weeks midweek to come out and be a part of Growth Track. And I know from some of you and probably all of you, you've developed some deeper bonds with people in our church that you had before that, and I know that for some of you, and I hope for all of you who came, your understanding of your identity in Christ now shines somewhat brighter than it did before. And I want to say to you and to all of us, Jesus is all about not only being the author of our faith, but the finisher of our faith. And it doesn't mean it comes to an end. He just keeps putting the finishing touch on it as we continue to move forward in faith in the grace of God. And it's great to know as we've looked, and we can, it's great to know who you are in Christ. It's great to know who we are in Christ, but just as great it is to know why you are in Christ and why we are in Christ. And so that's where we're going today and over the next few weeks in chapter four in this great letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and through them to us. And by God's grace and power, we are all called into a life of faith, even though we all are uniquely diverse. Can I just ask you how many of you, uh, and uh, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but if, if, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody, but if you, raise your hand. If you've come, if you've come or you're a part of a, of a Catholic heritage, would you raise your hand? Hold it up. Great, great, great. Anybody? Yeah, great. How about Lutheran? Yeah, yeah? We have a couple of Martin Lutherans in here. You know more? Me, uh, how about, uh, how about uh, let's see, what other denominations are there? Oh, yeah. How about Episcopalian? Anyone? No? We got to work on that. How about Presbyterian? Or uh, 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 anyone? How about uh, Baptist? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, put your hands by that. How about Southern Baptist? Yeah? How about northern, no, how, how about, uh, uh, let's see, free will Baptist? How about independent Baptist? How about Pentecostal? How about uh, Methodist? Or how about, I heard a little kid say Methodist. <laughs> how about, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> how, any Bapticostals in here? <laughs> Raise your hand. Any, any Calvinists in here? I won't, any Arminians in here? Any Calminians in here? How many pre-tribulation? No. How many post? How many pan? You know what a, a pan-tribulation is? It's going to pan out however God, I don't know. It's going to pan out. Here's the thing. We have unique, diverse backgrounds and experiences, and we're on a journey, right? Are you on a journey? Raise your hand if you've arrived. We'll pray for you. Right, but, but we're all unique, but we all have a connected identity. Regardless of what tributary you have been in or you like to be in or I'm in, we are all part of his body. We are all part of his flock of hearers, right? One shepherd, we're sheep, right? We're all brothers and sisters, We are all a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now, I'm going to have to keep saying in Christ. I hope you know. I'm not just saying, I'm not a universalist here, but I I don't want to have to. Anyway, you you with me on that? 
We are all part of his bride. And we're all part of his army. The metaphors in Ephesians are real, and we're going to take our time and look there. But we're going to see how Paul breaks this down. And regardless of where we are and what tributary and where our emphasis is, not here to knock that, I'm not here to change that. I actually have an idealistic belief that the Lord might want to bring an eclectic group of people together and not plant a flag necessarily on one distinctive. Wouldn't that be interesting to see how that would work? I'd like to see if that worked. It hasn't worked yet, but uh, I'd like to see it work. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard. That's the one the Americans read. And, no, not really. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Therefore I, that's Paul, the prisoner, the word for prisoner there is desmios, which means um, being bound and taken into a place of captivity. It's interesting because he's going to play on that idea and flip it on its head in the next eight verses. But Paul says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. And I implore you, I think one translation says, beseech you. The word is parakaleo. The Holy Spirit, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos, alongside, called alongside to help. Paul is saying, the way I, what I'm about to talk to you about, about walking this thing out in a worthy manner, I am coming up alongside of you and, and with, with deep passion uh, calling you. Do you get that? Parakaleo, implore. To what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. If you're a believer and I'm a believer, you have been called. Remember how we talked a few weeks ago? Probably 10 by now, but life goes so fast. I said, people would rejoice, hey, thank God. And my, my son Ernie's been called in the ministry. And we, woo, Ernie's going to the ministry. What, what Bible school is he going? But see here, now I get that. But here's the thing, we're all called. And we're all called into the ministry. But there is a special guidance that's diverse in that calling. And we're going to look at that in weeks to come. Let's continue. Which you have been called. So Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus. And, and listen, when he writes this, he is literally in prison. He is under house arrest in the early 60s, uh, eight, not, not 1960, in the early 60s, uh, probably wrote Ephesians maybe, 62 AD. Um, he is under house arrest in Rome, and he's referring, though, not to that. He's, he's using that idea to make, a, to make something uh, real about our lives in Christ, all of us. Um, he's referring to a calling and a relationship with Jesus that he describes as being a prisoner of the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce, who wrote one of the best works on Ephesians, a multi-volume set, the late, great James, James Montgomery Boyce, talks about being a prisoner of the Lord like this. He says, when individuals rebel against God, they don't achieve freedom. They fall into bondage because rebellion is sin and sin is a tyrant. On the other hand, when men and women submit to God, becoming his slaves, they become truly free. They achieve the ability fully to become the special, I love this, special unique beings of God created as he created them to be. 
I love that. Paul says, I'm a desmeos. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I come up alongside you with great passion to call you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have already been called. And how do we do it? He continues on. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, you know, kind of like everybody with their attitude about the masks and stuff. Oh my gosh, people. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in agape, in the God kind of love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we're going to come back and really drill into that portion in weeks to come where I talk about how Saul of Tarsus, who, got, who, became, who became converted and met Jesus and was caught up in the third heaven probably early in the game, uh, how he had to go through the school of learning uh, and, and all that, and we're going we're gonna to see that in weeks to come. So we're going to come back to that, but for now, let it suffice that we read it and be familiar with it. We're going to camp out in this for weeks, okay? So, but why does Paul implore us to walk in a calling? He explains it in the next verse, verse 4. Because there is one body, regular that Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, cessationists, I'm all over the map about gifts, all, no matter what, pre, post, whatever, who your favorite is, who your non-favorite is, whether you like Joel Osteen or you don't, all this, we're all one body. I said, I'll say it over here, no one said amen over there. We're all one body. Let me see, this is what Paul said. Can Paul still speak to the church today? All right. There is one body. How many Holy Spirits? Just as you also, you were called in one hope of your calling. See that? One hope of your calling. And then he says, one Lord, one. Have you noticed the word one? I wonder if the Holy Spirit is trying to get a point across. Huh? One God and Father over all. Through all and in all. Now that's impossible. Right? Do you mean to tell me God is working somewhere else in Cumberland beside right here? God wants the Shema of God on earth to be displayed in the oneness of the body of Christ. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He wants the Shema of God to be released and revealed, as Jesus prayed in John 17. Why are we called? Because we are to do something in this body, guided by the one Holy Spirit. Because all of us have been brought into one hope of this one calling that we all have in Christ. Now, we're going to begin today to look at the act of the giver. The giver is Jesus. And how we all, if we're believers, how we got here, not into this church building, but how we got here in this calling of God. Uh, let's continue in the next verse. I believe we're in verse 7. We got here by grace. Grace. Look at me. How many of you know what grace is? 
It is deeper than what you pray over your food, right? Grace, grace, grace. It says, it says in verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given. Uh, I'm nerding out on, on grammar today. I love, uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, so I'm gonna get to do what I want. I'm gonna nerd out on some grammar a little bit today. Um, each one of us, in the Greek uh, grammatical construction, I felt smart when I said the Greek grammatical, I'm just messing, the Greek grammatical instruction is that each one of us is in a superlative sense. It's, it's like, it's like, well, each one of them are there, but that's not, it's like each one of us, each one of us, grace has been given. To each one of us, we're talking about this calling we all have and about walking in a manner worthy of it. Why? Because each one of us has been given grace. Now, grace is, we all know what grace is, right? It's an unearned, say unearned, position of favor, say that, with God the Father, God, you don't have to say this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it's not just a position, it's an experience, an ever-flowing experience of unearned favor with God the Father, with God the Son, and with God the Holy Spirit. It is the, it is the Shema of God, but God wants to press the identity of the triune Godhead and the grace that, that all of the three in one want us to experience is in a measure greater than we know. How much grace, he tells us, according, look in verse seven, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Guys, when, when Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem, the angels sang. They burst through the skies, right? Right? They had Christmas, probably in late September. Jesus wasn't born on Christmas. He was probably born during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, somewhere in the fall feast. Probably my birthday, September 28th. I'm just kidding. Oh, thanks for all my 40th birthday Cards and gifts, by the way. Anyway, the angels stood in awe when Jesus was born. The angels stood in awe as he touched people's lives. The angels stood in awe as he said no to the devil in the the wilderness and in the garden. The angels stood in awe. Do you know the angels came and helped him when he said no to the devil in, in the garden of Gethsemane? And, and, and the angels stood in awe when he triumphed in, as the crucified one on the cross and made a public spectacle of Satan. There! Mm. And I believe the angels still stand in awe when the body of Christ starts to be the church instead of going to church. And that's why Paul prayed for the light to turn on in those who already were saved. That we have such a measure of grace that's in, that's in light of the, the work of Christ. And then he gives us a time stamp of when that grace was given. In the next part of that uh, And then in verse 8, therefore it says, and he quotes Psalm 68 here, a part of it, when, 
This is the timestamp of when this amazing measure of grace was given. When he ascended. Don't leave out the ascension. We talk about the birth, we talk about the death, we talk about the burial and resurrection. The ascension. You know what happened at the ascension? It's when he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. The timeline is this. When he ascended, an act of captivating grace took place. Jesus And, and Paul is flipping the idea of being a prisoner. He's flipping the idea of being in slavery to Rome and being in slavery. Two-thirds of the Roman Empire were, 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 was made up of slaves, not the kind that we, we the, the terrible, tragic, horrendous history in the United States of slavery upon, on, on, upon the black race. But there was all kinds of slavery in, in the Roman, and I can't talk about that now. You can study it, but not everybody was being whipped and beaten and mistreated. Some were uh, being doctors and teachers. And, uh, and, but anyway, but the idea was threaded all the way through the empire. And so when Paul's talking about this, and he says that Jesus Christ... Uh, Jesus Christ led, a captive, led captive a host of captives. And the word for captive there is, is a grammatical picture of being at, at, at a stream and you're fishing with a spear. And you're waiting for the moment. And you, Jeff, and you spear. Greatest fisherman in the room, by the way. Uh, he said hallelujah. He didn't. <laughs> Jeff didn't deny his faith. Did you hear that? I was talking to the kids who, who are up here, and I, I so told them, that, how many of you really are blessed by, by what Dustin and others are doing with the, the praise band, huh? Yeah. And I told them I love what they're doing, and I love their Holy Spirit swag. But I'll just, wait, what's that? Anyway, that's, that's not biblical, but it's just a thing. But I, I'm, I love seeing that, and I, one of the things I said was, be confident in, in the gift of God in your life, and, and don't back off of it. Right? And don't, and don't deny it. Be confident in it because like attracts like. And that's what Jeff was doing. He's just a hallelujah in himself because it's true. He is an incredible. Right, Jeff? Hallelujah. But this word captive means to spear, to spear something. That's the word. And now Jesus speared us, but he didn't kill us, did he? Jesus speared us. And Paul's going to talk about how he, watch this, watch this. He led captive, that means he speared us at the ascension, people who were captive. All of us were captive by sin. All of us were captive by the toxicity of it. All of us, preachers, priests, deacons, pastor's kids, missionary kids, cute people, like the old Arma hot dog commercial. All of us, even kids with chicken pox, right? We all, we all. We're captive. Some of you might still be. And there are Christians who don't have to be, but you, you still could be. And that's not something that I want to make you feel bad about. It's something I want to tell you that the reason why Paul prayed for the light to come on is because until we're understanding the everies and the grace of God, even with biblical knowledge... That's not enough to walk out in our life the emancipation that's already ours in Christ. That's true. But Paul is talking about being captured and, 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 and being captured by this unlimited measure of grace. 
and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men, and we're going to talk about that. So there you go. The giver and the gifted. All of us are gifted in Christ. When we were baptized in the Spirit, he gave gifts, probably more than one. And we'll get into the details of gifts in, in another message. But there is unlimited energy from the Holy Spirit inside of us right now. Much of it lies dormant, but it is there. There are limitless possibilities if Ephesians 3.20 is true. Able to do more than we can ask or even imagine by the power, dunamis, that is at work, at work in in us who believe. Every single one of us, Christ the liberator, has placed within the residence of your physical body and mine and us collectively. And every church in this town, every church in the state, in the country, in the world, Jesus Christ has placed within our bodies the dwelling of the Christos. Jesus Christ means Jesus the anointed one and and Christ Jesus. And there is no other Christ's But the Spirit of Christ, think of this. Oh, man, Tim, think of this. Grasp this. Be captured by this. Let this spear you. The Christos, the Holy Spirit of Christ, has been placed in our being. Not just so we can understand the Bible, so we can live it out. And Paul is praying that we get that. We get that. Because the body, the flock, the family, the bride, the temple, and the army will be nothing more than what we believe and allow this captivating grace to work in us and through us. Our life of faith is a calling to walk out the worth of this grace. Our calling as Christians, little Christs anointed of God, is to walk out the worth of this measure of grace given to us. It reminds me of a song, Darlene Check, old school hill song. In the, in the song Potter's Hand where she says, take me and mold me, use me, fill me. I give my life to the potter's hands. Hold me, guide me, lead me, walk beside me. I give my life to the potter's hands. I want to show you a passage in Romans 1. Uh, hold your finger or place or whatever or Put uh, an offering envelope or whatever in Ephesians 4 and go with me over to Romans 1. Uh, I'm gonna, I, uh, when I prepare my messages, I call, I call what I do uh, drunk Picasso because, uh, because I know, right? I'm weird, man. 
I am really weird. You don't know me that well, but I am. But what I mean by that is I, I just throw stuff at the, I throw stuff at the thing. And if you look at a Picasso, you're like, what the heck? It's so morphed and so weird. And, you know, anyway, he, he, he sipped everything. I don't do that, but I feel like I'm doing that sometime. And there, you, if you're trying to track with me, I usually burn the bridge before you try to cross it. But so try to stay with me. This message isn't going to be solved today. I'm going to preach Ephesians 4 for a while, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you something here. All right, let's nerd out. Is this working up here? Great. Anyway, why would it be? Why would it be? The one week I really need to nerd out on, the, on Greek grammar and I had it up there for you. Why would it work? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. All right. Do you, do you, are you in Romans 1? Do you have a pen with you? Do you have a pen with you? Romans 1, verse 1. Paulos, doulos, Christos Jesus, Kletos, Apostolos, Aphorismenos, Hothios. Thank you very much. Anyway, that's the Greek rendition of Paul, a bondservant of Christ. Are you reading that with me? Called as an apostle, but the word as is in italics, which means it's not in the original manuscript. It's added there for understanding, and sometimes those who wanted to help out God put words in there that kind of take from the meaning there then instead of adding to it. Set apart for the gospel of God, all right? When we see that, we see that as an introduction. What I wanted to show you, and you want to write this down, over Paul, put a capital N. Over bondservant, put a capital N. Uh, bracket of Christ Jesus. How many of you are doing that? If you're not, you have to leave. No, I'm just kidding. Kletos, uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading uh, Called, put an N over it. Apostle, put an N over it. Set apart, put an N over it. What the N represents in the Greek grammar is it, 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 words are in a certain case ending. If I had it up here, I would tell you that Paulos has an OS ending. Uh, bondservant is the word doulos. It has an OS ending. Jesus uh, does not, and that's important. Uh, Called has an OS ending. Apostle has an OS ending. Afro, uh, set apart has an OS ending. It, 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 every one of those, it's called nominative case. It's like a subject. So let me, let me try to drill this in. If Paul was walking down the street and you said, hey, Paul, he'd turn around and say, hey, what? But he'd also, if he was walking down the street and you said, hey, bondservant, he'd said what? If you said, hey, set apart, he'd say what? If you'd say, hey, called, he'd say what? Because Paul's Christianity wasn't just he was saved. There were measures of grace that injected in him that brought him from trying to be, to, trying to line his life up as Saul of Tarsus with the law of God. Galatians 2 says his ego, his I, tried, tried to please God. Uh, Peterson's paraphrase says, I worked my head off to please God, but instead of pleasing God, I, I proved myself to be a breaker of the law, which is what happens when we try in our willness, even with good intentions, to line our life up and become. In other words, he was a bondservant. Paul was bonded life, listen, Paul was bonded life and death to Jesus. Paul was called Paul heard the call, and he followed that call the rest of his days. Paul defines spirituality the way we should. 
Listening to the voice of the shepherd, always in line with this book, Rightly Divided. Always, right? Someone amen that. Always. But it was a living hupakoin. It was an under the voice, which was spirituality, true spirituality, under the voice in the word. Anyway, so that was his call. Uh, and it wasn't just one call, and then he went off and did what he wanted to do. The, the apostle part was the same, nominative. The set apart, aphorismenos, was the same. But what's interesting is the phrase, of Christ Jesus. You have your pen? Put a bracket around, of Christ Jesus. All right? And then put a bracket, uh, the gospel of God. Do you see of in of Christ Jesus and of God? The, the, those phrases are, are in the case ending of what is called the genitive case. Um, genitive. It's where in the English we get genes, the genetic code, right? What, that's talking about origins. That's talking about the source of life. Um, the, the original Hebrew word for Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is origins. And what do we know in chapter one of the book of Genesis? We find out where we came from, but not only where we came from, who, who we came from and how we came from. God spoke Right? And things came into being. That's the, the idea of the genesis. When Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, is laying in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that the spirit of him who raised Christ up, there was a genesis in the body of Jesus of Nazareth, right? What, what, what this genitive case is telling us, please forgive me if I'm nerding out too long, is that the Paul of Paul and that the bondservantness of Paul and that the calledness of Paul and the apostleship of Paul and the set-apartness of Paul came from the genesis of the gospel and the genesis of Jesus. How many of you got that? Don't worry, we're going to come back to that week after week. This is the difference between doo-doo, voodoo Christianity and the real thing. Paul didn't go, oh, I heard you're supposed to be bound to Jesus. So I'm going to get over there and I'm going I'm to bind myself up to Jesus. and I'm going to start to study and all this. Now, there's not studying and praying and all that. Yes. But, but which case are you in? Are you in the law case? Or are you in the genitive case? How many of you understand what I'm saying? Lord, make this real to us. Change your life. How do you get overcome sin? Not by trying to overcome sin. By the genitive power of another. Gracing you with power to overcome what you could never overcome by knowing it's wrong and trying to do what's right. Oh, please, I wish I could preach for a few hours on that. So the nerd alert, next slide. Hey, what do you know? Take a screenshot. We'll come back to that. Hey, where are we? There we are. Nerd alert. All right, so here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, Paul's ideas in the nominative case, all these things, and you're not, maybe you're not an apostle, but you have spiritual gifts, and you might know what they are, or you might come to know what they are, but the spiritual gifts come from the genitive case. We're going to talk about that in a while. It's not like, well, I think I'm this, so I'm going to try to be that. I think I have a gift of help, so I'm going to try really hard to help. That won't last long. All right, anyway, we'll get there in a minute. Okay, let, let me explain it like this. 
Uh, some of you have seen this new Bible I have. It's a super giant print. It's not just a giant print. They make giant print for people that are 40. When you turn 60, they got the super giant print. This is a super giant print. And my, and my font in my manuscript up here, um, it's embarrassingly large. I've read a lot in my life. Some of you readers out there, listen, pretty soon the font that says like number 18 and stuff, wave bye-bye to that baby. Wave bye-bye. Anyway, this is super giant print. But um, as you can see, if, now listen, I don't have my name on the front of it yet. Uh, but uh, if I, knowing me, I'll leave it somewhere. And, and, and someone, praise team, pray, you'll go, hey, look, someone left their Bible. They'll go, hey, that's Tim's Bible because I've shown it to you. That's Tim's Bible, all right? Well, here's the thing. I own this Bible. I paid for it with my own money. But what I want is for this Bible to own me. I want what's under my arm to be in the genitive case in my life. So we say, hey, Paul's an apostle. Bob's a pastor. Mary is a whatever ministry in the church. But here's the thing. What Paul is saying is, I got speared by the grace of Jesus. And the way he speared me, injected in me, an authoritative power to go and represent him as an ambassador to the nation's apostleship. When I, when I had a, a revelation that I'm going to chase down to the day I die and after, Philippians 3, why in the world he ever, knowing who I was, poured grace and mercy out on my life? That's why I'm bonded to him. I'm not bonded because I'm afraid of sinning or afraid of losing the ministry. I'm not bonded because I don't want to go to hell. He speared me with his love, and I'm bonded. He's got my ear. He's got my heart. See the difference? Who owned who? Who owned who? Who owns who? You get it? God can use nerds. Paul is saying later on in, uh, in uh, you guys, I don't know how much time I have. Not that it matters. Um, I tried last week. I'm hopelessly devoted to length. Later on in this book, Paul says, don't be foolish. Moronus is the word. Do the math. Don't be moronus, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, don't you take a verse out of context? I wonder if he wants me to go to Walmart Thursday or Friday. No, it's about this whole thing of, here, here it is, the will of the Lord, is he wants you and I to be captivated by this unlimited measure of grace, realizing we're gifted, and walk in a manner worthy of that call. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, because we live in the days of evil, and he really wants to use us as the body as the bride, as the flock, as dwelling places of God out there, as the army of the Lord. Not on a Paul Revere's horse, but on a donkey in humility. We're the Eucharist of God in the world. We're a sacred communion revelation of Jesus. 
We are a Shema. Now, turn with me to Acts 13 as Picasso continues to throw you all over the place. Acts 13, I want, to, I want to begin to show you, and we're going to come back to this. What I'm going to show you right now, and not cover it all today, but in weeks to come, might save you, um, can't deal with the crooked, might, uh, might save you years off your ministry pursuit. In verse 1 of Acts 13, now there were at Antioch, this, is, this, is, this was the rockin' church of the first, of the first uh, 60-some years. This, this was the rockin' church. This is where you wanted to be. Uh, Barnabas went there earlier in Acts and, and witnessed the grace of God on that church. So he went to find Paul, who had been put on the sidelines by apostolic authority, but that's too far ahead in the message. But he brought them there, and they were there for years, a few years. They were there a few years, and it says now they were at Antioch in the church, underline in the church, live streamers, live streamers. We have to be in the church, church in the church. We have to be in the church because people say to me, I don't have to, be, uh, I don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't, but listen. If you're not going to be a fool and you're going to fulfill your ministry, you have to be in a church. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And they were in the church, and they were in the church, and they were in the church. That was there, and in that church, and there, here are some spiritual gifts, and these are, I'll just throw this out there, office gifts. There are office You can prophesy and you can teach and not be in the office of a prophet, office of a teacher, Ephesians 4, look at it later. But there were prophets and teachers. Hey, prophets, YouTube, wacko prophets, if you ain't in the church, if you're not under authority of someone, I ain't listening. I ain't gonna listen. Even if you know the mystery of the seven thunders in the book of Revelation, I'm not listening. Because the days are evil. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Mannion, who played Little League Baseball with Herod when they grew up. And Saul. Notice he's not called Paulus. He's not called Paulus here. Do you notice that? He's Paul. He's already been caught up in the third heaven and been told by Jesus himself that he would stand before kings. I don't think Simeon was at that level, nor Lucius, nor Mannion, even though he could have said, I grew up with Herod, or Barnabas. Look at the next verse. While they were ministering, what's the next three words? To the Lord. 
if we want to get anywhere in our giftedness, it's about ministering to the Lord in our giftedness. We'll come back to that. Why, what took place? Listen, while, it's important, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. What does ministering to the Lord mean? It could be something like this. I am yours. I am yours. I've been bought with life so precious. I'm singing an old Jesus hippie song. I am new. I'm brand new in you, my Jesus. I am yours. I am yours. I put all my life in your hands. And when I hear your spirit calling me, I'll follow. Yes, I'll follow. Because I am yours. Now, I don't know whether that's ministering to the Lord or not, what they were doing. But the Lord wants us to be unto him. And if we need to be unto others more, God might use us because of his mercy. But our gifts came from him and they're for him. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, look at the next words. Say them out loud. Can I hear you in the back? While they were ministering to the Lord, what happened? The Holy Spirit began to speak. I would venture to say that the Holy Spirit didn't show up like in a dove form in the top and go, hey guys. Or the, hey guys. Probably, not probably, I would say certainly, one of those guys was moved on by a manifestation of the Spirit to speak to those who were ministering to the Lord. While they were doing that, the Holy Spirit said, set apart, remember Romans 1, Paul, in the nominative case, Paulus, doulos, bondservant, aphorismenos, set apart. He's already been set apart. He already knew he was set apart. Three days after the Damascus Road experience, Ananias prayed. The scales came off his eyes. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had already told him he'd stand before kings. Chosen instrument. That's set apart. But it wasn't time. And years go by. Tick, tock, tick, tock goes the clock. And this man, apostle, set apart, is going to stand before kings. The only thing he's doing in the church is taking offerings up with Uncle Barney. That's it. And if he's anything like me, he was going nuts over that. But while they were ministering to the Lord, because listen, when the doors don't open for me and for you, 
If it's good enough for you to minister your gift to the Lord while you're in a waiting room that is by his set time, if you die in the waiting room ministering to the Lord, you will be rewarded greatly because our reward will be based on hupakoin theu, which means under the voice of God. Right. Jesus already called them in a generalized awareness, and now he got specific. Specific. Set apart unto me. And let me read to you how it says this. Who was named first? Set apart for me. For, for who? For souls? For the church? For your passion? No. Set apart for me. Now, remember I said about having a grace that's for the Father and the Son? This is the Holy Spirit speaking. Set apart for me. If we really want to walk in the dynamic of God, we have to come to terms in some way, someday, somehow. What level of relationship of dynamic you are going to give permission to the Holy Spirit to allow to be toward you and through you? Regardless of where you end up on views of spiritual gifts, here's one thing that nobody can disagree with. There is a dunamis in spiritfulness. A dunamis. Dunamis. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Oh, I'm tempted. I can't go there. Don't have time. Don't have time. Don't have time. But you'll get it. If you're there, if you're in the waiting room, we'll come, we're going to come into that. Ready? We'll come into that. Here we go. Ready? Okay, so it's time to get up and go, right? Get up and go. He told me, so here we go. Get up and go. Nope. Verse 3. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, and it doesn't say how long, and laid there, that means somebody else, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Or you can just go out and start your own thing. Tell everybody you're gonna. God told you. And six months later, you have to kind of tweak that a little bit. And you can only do that so many times and still have integrity and have people believe you. And here's the thing. When we're under God and under authority, that's not just under, I don't need to be under authority, I'm under God. Well, if you're under God, you're under a church. And you're under pastoral leadership. And, and, and a teachable spirit shows up in what you do after you've been told no. Meekness and humility is not necessarily proven by when someone gives you the right to do something. It's when you're bucking against it and you know and you know and God told you and the time frame is not on your call. It's on a bigger collective called the family of God. And they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now let's go on. I'm going to throw you another. Here, go, here we go. Here we go. Picasso's going to John 12. Picasso's going to John 12. John 12. Ready? Almost done. 
That's what they say when they're uh, trying to get you to hold on longer. John 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, and let me tell you, this is just a week after he raises Lazarus from the dead. And there at Lazarus' house, having lunch or something. Now, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now, look, look at me. A resurrected son was sitting at a table. Verse 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. Uh, just quickly, the, the scholars say it was probably close to a year's wages. And what did she do with it? She poured it on Jesus' feet. Ministry to who first? Ministry to who first? She poured a year's worth of wages of perfume right on the ground, right on his feet. Do you know why she did that? Because there was a law that said, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. I don't believe that's why she did it. You know what I believe? She hadn't gotten used to being in a fellowship table with resurrected sons. And she was ministering to the Lord. Do you know when God said to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, he didn't start with the outer court? You know what he started with? Bring the gold and build the ark inside the holy place. Alpha to omega. God first. God first. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And see, that's what the Lord wants to do with us and our giftedness. What was the genesis of her offering? It was her dead brother wasn't dead anymore. Now look at this next guy. Verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, in other words, the little birdie was already speaking to him, and now we're gonna see, and now we're gonna see how, in, through what road, the devil got ground in Judas. It had something to do with money. You with me? Watch what he says. See, when, sometimes when you, when you use your gift, it triggers faith, and it also triggers this. Watch what Judas says. Sounds spiritual to me. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the rescue mission? Right? Nothing could be more important than helping poor people. Nothing could be more spiritual. We should drop everything we do and just feed people. That's what we should do. That's not. Can I ask you, who, who brought that up? Come on, help me. Who brought that up? The Holy Spirit? No. Satan did. And just as the Holy Spirit spoke through somebody to say, set apart unto me Barnabas and Saul in the church, in that church, on that day, Satan had already been working on Judas, and Judas spoke out of his mouth what Satan had put in his head that was getting in his heart. And a couple days later, when he breaks bread with Judas, Satan enters his heart. 
The devil gets ground. Not everybody that's talking about money in a religious fashion about helping others has the heart of Jesus in doing so. And John tells us where Judas's heart was. Oh, he was a thief. Verse six. Now, he, all right, is it okay to read the Bible? You know you read the Bible in church and you could just be a major culture shock? It can get people mad. Listen. Ah, oh, better not. And he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor. Have you ever met anybody like that? I have. I have met a lot of people like that. Some of the biggest critics of the church give the less to the church. I've been in it 32 years, and the majority of people who have criticized the church are in the 80% camp who do the least, give the least, serve the least, pray the least. Serious. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. And he used to pilfer what was into him. We say, well, I don't do that. Well, Malachi has something to say about that. Will a man rob God? How do we rob God? And Jesus says, and here's what he'll say when you put your, here's what he'll say for you when you minister unto him. Let her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you. You always have your ministry. But me, that's another story. How many of you here, the Holy Spirit's in this place right now. All right, so I gotta quit. Let me sum this up. Go to the next thing. To the gifted, that's us. Always bring out your gifts from the Genesis case. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. Remember he said without me you can do nothing even if you've been gifted. You know that you can operate in your gift. I've done, you can operate in your spiritual gift and it doesn't mean that you're close to Jesus. It doesn't say you'll know them by their giftedness, right? It says you'll know them by their fruit. That doesn't mean that everybody that's super gifted and is using gifted isn't close to Jesus. The point I'm saying to you and to me is it's a ministry that if spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit, then only the Holy Spirit in abiding in the word with Jesus can keep enhancing the power of that gift, right? Second point, always be under the one behind the veil and the door. We don't have to be public in order to be pure with our gift. First, it's worthship. Worthship is doing what uh, unto him behind the door. Thirdly, grace greatly into the process of excellence. God isn't trying to make us excellent in the idea of perfectionism. Uh, many of us, including me, uh, and this, this, I'm afraid of this in my life because uh, the greatest gift, the spiritual gift in my life is not what I'm doing right here. It's what I don't do that I did a minute ago. And, uh, and, and a couple other things. And through, and through just a long story I can't get into, uh, there are things I struggle with about that. Because, hey, have you ever, have you ever gone out to show your father's coat and had, and had the brothers throw you in a pit? Huh? When that happens, not everybody gets like Joseph and gets in prison and goes, can I help you interpret your dream? A lot of us go, uh. Anyway. I'm working on that. 
Grace, and you need to too, because I'm not the only one. Grace greatly into the process of excellence. Excellence, if, if, I'm, if I'm a perfectionist I'm, and I'm fearful of what other people are going to think, you murder the king's English like I do or whatever, um, you can hold back because you don't think what you present is good enough. But if it's God enough, it's good enough. I'm preaching to myself. Don't rob people because you haven't brought it to your state. Grace yourself into the process of excellence. Number four, may the passion of your performance always be for the enhancement of others. That was Jesus' food and Paul's food. When Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome because I want to strengthen I want to strengthen you. It's where we get the word steroid. I want to, I want to, bring, I want to bring my performance, not performance, ta-da, but I want to bring my giftedness to, to, be, to bring a performance enhancement to the church in Rome. So that you and I will be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. You see what I'm saying? How do you do that if you're a lone ranger and not in church? All right? That was Jesus' food, remember, with the woman at the well? Eat, master. I have food to eat you know nothing of. Paul, that's what Paul's saying. All right, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. All right? Uh, okay. Those were points toward us. Now, this one's toward God. And, and look, get your, get, your, uh, get your bread and your cup ready. I'm going to close with this. We're talking about, okay, we're talking about our gifts. I, 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 here's another part of my nerdness. I am into, I'm into studying the life stories of, of, of musical or artistic prodigies. Uh, Drunk, uh, drunk Picasso. Um, and I've been, I love, I love, uh, I love acoustic guitar players. And I came across the, this one recent one. Her name's Rosie Bennett. She's probably mid-20s. Uh, she knows like four languages. She's from, uh, she's from Germany, I think. You can look her up on YouTube. I heard this interview, I heard her play, and she's playing this, this Bach piece, and it was incredible, but what, what attracted me to her performance was her passion in her playing. It, was, it stood me, it stood me up. So I, I, I researched her, and I watched her give this interview. She said when she was three years old, she knew, got her, her parents knew she had the talent, and at age seven, she went to a musical school in England that was like Hogwarts. You know, it was kind of like uh, just real, real, real strict and real, yeah. And I mean, if, it, it basically, you know, it can bring you along, but very strict and it really hurt. And she went through a lot of stuff with that. And she's 20-something and she survived. Look, if you can survive some of the stuff and you still have your gift, like for me, when I stand before the Lord, the only reward, the only thing I hope I have is a sweet spirit. Because I can't, I, there's no guarantee you're going to have a successful this, a successful that forever. But what, wouldn't it be something if, if you get there and you, just, and you just have a sweet spirit? That all the stuff that came your way didn't have its last, the toxicity of it didn't last. You just have a sweet spirit. What I love about this girl is that when she's playing, and I've seen it with others, when Rosie's playing, here's what God did to me. This verse came to me. And I prayed to God, and I, I'm, I'm praying, God, 
Let, let my sermon preparation, let my gift preparation, and let yours, whatever it is, whatever your gifts are, whether they're platform or, your, or God has a platform for you in the corridors out here, uh, in the nursery, in the shikit, whatever it is, and whatever builds in your life groups, whatever. Here's what I prayed. Lord, may the preparation for my gifts be no less than Rosie's preparation for the way she plays. And may the passion when I present it be like hers as she is working that neck board. You have to look her up. Give her some props there. I don't even know her, but. And so I tie that with this, toward the giver. Whatever your gift is. Well, I'm just, uh, we're not just a nothing. You know what we are? According to the measure, we've been speared. According to the measure of the gift of Christ's grace. Work, walk in a manner worthy of that. That's why we're going here. Today, this is about taking the bread and the cup and your giftedness to God. Hmm? And like David, regarding your gift and your calling in the Lord, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Would you take the lid off the bread of Christ? Take the lid off the bread of Christ and snap it, if you would, with your fingers. Because he was broken and he died on that cross, when he ascended, he speared us with grace. Regarding your gifts, yours, not mine, regarding sending the worthship of the calling in your walk to him, between you and him and between the brothers and sisters of our church. Lord, I will not offer burnt offerings to you something that doesn't cost me anything. Would you take the bread? Paul said that he was already, he said, don't, don't, don't feel bad about, don't feel bad in Ephesians 3, don't feel bad about the, the suffering I'm going through for you. It's for your benefit. And in Philippians, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering for you. I don't want anybody to have to, have to be a martyr like that. But again, regarding our gifts, regarding our church family bond, I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord my God. I will not give a financial gift to God that I can live without. That I doesn't even matter. I'm not going to tip Jesus. I'm not going to tip him in my preparations. I'm not going to tip him in my interaction and connection with the body of Christ. My brothers and sisters are truly my brothers and sisters. Truly. I will not offer 
You got blood. I've got blood in my hands right now when I'm saying this. Do you know what I'm saying? This isn't juice. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. Regarding our gifts and our calling, walking in a manner worthy. It's his blood. Would you take it? And would you stand with me, please? These guys are going to lead us in a beautiful song. I'm going to put my Bible under my arm with a prayer that his word will capture my heart. Amen.